we're uh, taking a look at Psalm 144. For those who are um, visiting here with us tonight, just know that uh, we've been making our way through the selected psalms, not looking at every psalm, but we're reaching the end and now we're in Psalm 144. And as we look at this psalm, we see that it has a superscription, a superscription that identifies the psalm as being a psalm of David. And for those who are regulars here, I think most of you know by now that by default, I tend to always read that attribution as if it's one of authorship. And this does to be, seem to be a psalm truly written by King David. But it also carries with it maybe a little wider royal aura about it. It, uh, it is about King David. It is sung by King David, composed by King David. But it also seems to be meant to be sung in the honor of successor kings perhaps as well. Maybe as a celebration of their kingship. A kingship that would be empowered by the providence of God. And if ruled and exercised wisely, this kingship would always be for the good of God's people. I really tend to see this particular psalm as being divided into two divisions in which there is a focus first on the king and then on the people whom the king serves. But central to both divisions is always the underlying presence of God. The hope is that both the king will be blessed by God as will the king's people. The focus on the king is seen mostly in the bulk of the psalm, in the first 11 verses. And the part that is more directed to the people is from the 12th verse to the end. And so having laid that foundation, having described the psalm and the structure of the psalm in this manner, let's now turn to read the psalm with these thoughts in mind. But as always, let's first pray for God's guidance through it. So let's pray once again. Lord, it is a blessing to have been given your word, to have your word preserved and translated into many different languages so that we of this land can understand it. We pray, Lord, as we come to this text tonight that you would direct our thoughts through it. Help us to see what you would have us know. Make it so that we know more of you because we have encountered your word. And by your spirit, Lord, also reflect in our hearts, what needs to be changed in us. Guide us, transform us by your words so that we would live more honorably to you. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So again, it's Psalm 144. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to it. The scripture text will also appear on the screen behind me. As I said already, the superscription reads that this is a Psalm of David. And he writes... Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and he in whom I take refuge, who subdues peoples under me. O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him, Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains so that they smoke. Flash forth the lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and rout them. 
Stretch out your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me from the many waters, from the hand of foreigners whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is a right hand of falsehood. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-string harp I will play to you. Who gives victories to kings. Who rescues David, his servant, from the cruel sword. Rescue me and deliver me from the hand of foreigners. Whose mouths speak lies and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood. May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown. Our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. May our granaries be full, providing all kinds of produce. May our sheep bring forth thousands and ten thousands in our fields. May our cattle be heavy with young, suffering no mishap or failure in bearing. May there be no cry of distress in our streets. Blessed are the people to whom such blessings fall. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. Amen. Well, I want to begin by honing in upon the first two verses of the Psalms. But before I do that, as I've reminded us at times before, in a psalm like this, or in the Scriptures as a whole, when we see the word LORD, LORD written in all capital letters in our Bibles, we are being told by that capital letter designation that the writer, excuse me, the writer is speaking of the covenant God of Israel, the only God. The word Lord, when written in capital letters, is written so as to represent God's covenant name, Yahweh. And I especially note that in this psalm tonight because it is important for us to realize from the very outset that when David expresses his desire that the Lord be blessed, and when he describes God with All these first magnificent words which reference the protective and saving power of God. He is speaking to and of the transcendent God who is still covenantly covenantally and imminently near. This is a God, this is the God who has a special care for his chosen king and for his chosen people. David blesses this true God of covenantal love. David sees the Lord as being his rock and his guide in battle. The Lord is his love and his fortress. God is his stronghold and his deliverer. God is the one who is a shield and a refuge. And he is the one who brings the victory, subduing enemy peoples under the feet of David the king. Now many of these descriptions that we read in these first two verses of Psalm 144 follow a pattern similar to the way Psalm 18 begins, another psalm of David. And that's something else we see particularly about this psalm. It seems to be a psalm that actually borrows from many other psalms previously written. And in fact, we see that next when we move on a little further, move on from the first two verses to encounter the next two verses, verses 3 and 4. Now it's not Psalm 18. Uh, 18, but Psalm 8 that is in view. The words of verse 3, O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him, nearly mirrors David's words in the 8th Psalm. 
Now, where there is a difference between the two, it's a difference of context. In Psalm 8, the questions relating to the regard God has for man, his mindfulness of man, come immediately after David had directly spoken about the visible creation made by God that David had seemingly recently been gazing upon. David had written there in the 8th Psalm about looking upon God's heavens, the work of God's fingers, the moon and the stars that God had set into place. And it's then after that when God adds, or when David adds rather, the words similar to Psalm 144.3, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him. So David in the 8th Psalm, having viewed creation, seems to stand in awe of the mystery of God behind the created order. He has realized that God is so transcendent, so beyond all things, so glorious, seemingly grasping that through the witness of creation. And then that seems to cause David to understand that God possesses ultimate glory, a glory apart from from in part from the observable creation, the creative work of God. Further then, the way David makes his point in Psalm 8 come across makes it almost sound as if it's a shocking thing, more so than it does here in the 44th, 144, because there we are seeing even more that God is a big God and what then man is, what man is to God seems even less significant. And even though the context is different in Psalm 144, there's no reference to creation or the created order, there is really not so much of a difference between the point that David is making. David is simply awestruck at a transcendent God and a transcendent God who would have this intimate, near, caring heart for humanity that he has crafted to be his creatures. David in Psalm 144 is just as awestruck at the God who has created us and who preserves us and that he is a God who would providentially care for an insignificant man or an insignificant woman. What is man that you, O God, regard him at all or the son of man that you think of him? And you know that that second phrase here is really not a second question that's being asked by David. It's not asked as if to draw the hearer of the psalm to now consider Christ, though we often do because we know Son of Man to be a title that's been born by Jesus. But Son of Man at times when it's used in the Bible is just really another way of designating a human being. And that seeming second question is just a parallel type of poetic device, one that's often used within the Psalms as a way of saying the same thing a second time in a slightly different way as a way of giving it greater emphasis. Again, why would God think of man? David is highlighting through these words of the Psalm the seemingly insignificance of man, man who is a wisp and a breath and whose days are like a passing shadow, especially, especially when compared with the incomprehensible, magnificent God. Why would it be that God would have such a care for man? O Lord, what is man that you regard him, or the son of man that you think of him? Well, after David has begun with his praise, 
And then after how he has touched on the care God has for man, insignificant man, he then in verses 5 through 8 prays for God's involvement in his life. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains and make them smoke. And with these words, now for a third time, David has used Lord in capital letters. Again, he is referring to our God by his covenant name, Yahweh. And now there is no escaping that this God of covenantal love for his people is also a warrior on behalf of his king. Now here again, there is a reminiscence to part of what Psalm 18 has said. The picture of God coming in power to rescue the king is found in Psalm 18 as well as Psalm 144. And the rescue of God in both Psalms involves God's coming down from the heavens and the rescue of his king is accompanied with smoke and the shooting of arrows. All of the phenomenological events mentioned in either Psalm and all the weaponry are symbolic of the powerful hand of a God who is at work to bring victories to his king. God is the one who rescues David and he rescues him in a mighty way. He is the one who routs the enemy. The enemy is one who speaks lies and whose right hand is a hand of falsehood. But the hand of God is more powerful and the hand of God will rescue his king again with this impressive show of power. So now we've gone to maybe three parts of that first part of the psalm. David began with singing praises to God. He then spoke of the insignificance of man. He prays now for God's intervention And then the praises of God again will resume in the ninth and the tenth verse. David now praises God saying these words. I will sing a new song to you, O God. Upon a ten-string harp I will play to you. Who gives victory to kings, who rescues David his servant from the cruel sword. Now David has described already a need to be rescued by God. But this psalm now is expressing a confidence that God will do just that. God will rescue. He will give victory to the king. And that makes it so that David will sing a new song and play the new song upon a ten-string harp. Now again, that's similar to another psalm, the psalm that we read as a call to worship today, Psalm 33. Psalm 33, which I read as that call to worship, is praising God as well. And the praise there also comes in the form of a new song. And it comes with a melody that's being played also on a harp of ten strings. Now just to be clear, a new song in the scriptures need not be one that's recently composed. A new song involves a biblical description of a song sung when there has been a new or a fresh experience of the grace of God. The harper lyre, well that also was a common instrument used in temple worship. And one with ten strings... Well, that would have been one of a more sophisticated sort of all the stringed instruments. So the picture here is one of praising and worshiping God for the victory he brings and doing that in light of this new showing of God's grace. And then appended to these verses is the 11th verse. And all that the 11th verse is really doing is repeating the prayer of the 7th and 8th verse. David now is asking again for God's deliverance from the hands of of foreigners who mouth speak lies. And then that brings us to the ending verses. 
Now, I said before that the psalm seems to be divided nicely into these two divisions, the first which focuses on the king, the second which focuses on the people. Well, here's the part where the people come into view. Now, if the king is a good king, it would also mean that the blessings from God he receives would also be blessings he shares with the people. So really, the division of the psalm into these two nice themes would not at all be that significant, again, if the king is good. And it appears to us that he is. And we know that because the words at the end of the psalm, focusing on the people of God, is a prayer that's coming from the lips of the king. His desire, the king's desire for his people, verse 12, is for the sons of the nation while in their youth to be like plants full grown. In other words, the king would like to see his kingdom filled with young men as if they are in full bloom as strong men, even though they are still young. And this king also then prays for the kingdom's daughters as well. He would like to see the young women of the kingdom like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. Now that might not sound all that pleasant to us as we think about our own daughters. I hope my daughter will be like a corner pillar of a palace. But the words, I think, have really lost a little meaning from the time they were first written. This image is designed to create a beautiful picture in our minds. The image of a corner pillar suggests that the daughter is to be one who is solid in joining her family together. But it also, this prayer that she be like a pillar of a palace also is suggesting that she be designed with some ornate beauty, carved out as if an adornment for the structure for which she is to be a part. So the king's prayer for young men and for young women is a prayer that they could be the best that we could imagine, that their nation would be filled with people like that. And then from there, the king also prays for prosperity and productivity, granaries full, providing produce, sheep in great numbers, cattle aplenty and full, ready to give birth with no complications when the young bulls or heifers are near to be born. The prayer of this king is for his kingdom to be a nation that would prosper and a nation that would be a kingdom free from distress. I wonder what it would be like today if we lived in a nation where our leaders were visibly seen and audibly heard praying for people, the people that they lead in such a way. The picture of a godly king in the scriptures results in his leading of godly people. And people in a place like this, with leaders like this, would be a people who we would expect to know the blessings of God. And then that brings us to the final verse of this psalm. And the first line of the final verse, blessed are people to whom such blessings fall. But perhaps it's the very last line of the psalm, of the very last verse, which is the single line that should pique our attention most. Blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. The king who writes this psalm, David, desires blessing from God so that he might be a blessing to the people. 
He is a man who praises God and lays the needs of the people before their Lord. And he so cares for the people that he prays for them. And he also knows that the greatest blessing his people could ever know, that his nation could ever know, is the blessing of knowing their God, knowing the Lord, the covenant God, knowing Him to be their God. The Lord Himself, you see, is the greatest blessing of them all. This is a psalm that is focused first on the King. A psalm that then focuses on the King's people, God's people. But central to the, to the uh, matter of whether it is the King or it is the people, the truest and greatest blessing they could know is to have a unity with their God. Let's pray.